0: This is Sports Jam. I'm Doug Doyle. We have a very special guest for you today. He's one of the top play-by-play announcers of all time. And eventually, he will be in the Hall of Fame when it comes to broadcasting. He's handling all four major U.S. sports and the only one currently doing that right now.
1: Aaron with it. Feeds Fox. Backhand shot. He scores! He scores! Rangers win! Adam Fox in overtime! The Rangers defeat the Stars. Rangers win it 2-1 in overtime. After Keandre Miller tied the game in the final second, Adam Fox wins it in OT.
0: And his new book really says it all. A Mike for All Seasons. My three decades announcing the NFL, NHL, NBA, MLB, and the Olympics. Kenny Albert joins us on Sports Jam. Great to see you, Kenny.
2: Great to be here, Doug. I appreciate the kind
0: words. Uh, The book, I really enjoyed it. It's a pleasure to have you on the show now. I can't believe you're up already and ready to go after already doing uh, the NFL game yesterday. You had the Giants and Dolphins, right?
2: I did. I was in Miami and actually got back home here to uh, northern New Jersey about 9.30, so not too bad. West Coast games the
0: next two weeks, so that'll be a little bit of a different story. You keep a busy schedule, and even though people say Hey, I know Kenny Albert. I've been listening to him for years. What don't I know about him? A lot. And that's why you have to read this book, because you will find out very special things. Of course, whether it be on Fox Sports, calling NFL games, or New York Rangers on the radio, Stanley Cup playoffs, or even the World Series, a 30-year-plus career in sports broadcasting. So there is a lot that people know about you, but this book gets very personal. And it's about family is one of the big themes of this work ethic, another big theme throughout Mike for All Seasons. Let's start with family. And before we talk about your famous father, Marv, the legendary broadcaster himself, and as well as your wife and two daughters, I think Kenny Albert's toughest battle may be being born, right?
2: Well, that's a story, Doug, that I, that I cover in the book and uh, that I heard about right from a young age. Um, I was actually born three months premature. So I was in an incubator for the first two and a half months at Lenox Hill Hospital in Manhattan. Uh, my parents had twins; they did not know they were going to have twins. Uh, the other baby did not survive. Um, I was due on May fifth; was born February second. My father was actually traveling back from Montreal from a hockey game. The Rangers played the Canadians the night before, so uh, he didn't make it in time. But uh, you know, how would he know? I wasn't due until May, so uh, that was the early. Uh, battle, as you mentioned. And I was one pound, 15 ounces when I was born, went down to one eight at one point. And uh, here we are 55 years later.
0: Destined for greatness, I guess, Kenny, because when thing we hear things like that, we know there was a reason that you came about. Now, you observed your father, Marv, at a very young age. And Walt Frazier mentions in your foreword, when he saw you as a little kid, you didn't say anything you just observed and watched. And then when you eventually got your big break with the Baltimore Skipjacks, you took off from there. But it was about observing and learning and reading. You've been preparing for this kind of work since a very young child.
2: Well, I did do a lot of observing and and uh, uh, tried to uh, learn via osmosis when I was growing up. Um, obviously, in a sportscasting family, my father and my two uncles. And whenever they would visit my uncle, Steve and Al, uh, it was like I was listening to the first all sports radio station. I would just try to soak in all of the stories that they would tell about the various games, teams, players, coaches that they were covering at the time. And I also received a tape recorder for my birthday from my parents when I was about five or six years old and uh, set up my room like a radio or TV studio. And I would start calling games into the recorder when I was old enough, I would take it to Madison Square Garden or Shea Stadium, and then I would start keeping stats as well uh, for my father and some other announcers too. And that was just a great learning experience because um, I would witness the communication between the broadcasters and the production truck. I would uh, watch the communication between uh, the announcers, the play-by-play, and the color analyst, and It was probably better than anything I could have uh, learned in a classroom, not to take anything away from my great teachers and professors. But um, just being there at 14, 15, 16 years old, watching how everything works. Uh, A huge break, Doug, when I was in high school, a local cable station came to my school to film a girls basketball game. They had two cameras, a little production van, no announcers. So I volunteered. And for the next two and a half years, I, I called 75 to 100 games for Cox Cable. On Long Island, all over the island, high school, basketball, football, baseball, hockey, lacrosse, soccer, Division three football and basketball at the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy. At that time, kids my age couldn't get experience doing play-by-play until college. It's a lot different these days. Now there are great high school programs, but I felt like I had such a head start uh, due to the combination of, of, of watching and observing while I was growing up and then getting the practical experience as well.
0: You mentioned your uncles. Please call him Kenny when you see him in the airport because he's been called by his uncle's names, both Steve and, Al. and Steve, Steve. I don't get Al very
2: often, but for some reason, people once in a while call me Steve. And some people think that you're Marv's brother. He loves it. It makes him feel so much younger.
0: So he even introduces me as his brother once in a while. You know, there's a lot of great little stories in here, but I want you to, to share one. We're talking about family here, and you have two wonderful daughters and and a great uh, wife. But when your daughter was three, she would like to get under Grandpa Marv's skin. Tell us that story.
2: Uh, She would. And his catchphrase, obviously, was yes. So we taught her. This is my older daughter, Amanda, who's now 24, celebrated a birthday the other day. Um, but she knew about his catchphrase, yes. Both teams over the limit. Here's Arenas. This for the win.
1: Yes! It's over!
2: I remember going to dinner a couple of times, and and she would try to get under her skin, and she would start saying, no, no, no. And uh, that's that's a memory that has certainly lasted now for over two
0: decades. So was it really the first date that you had with Barbara, that being the uh, Game 3 of the NBA Finals between the Knicks and the Rockets? You say yes? She says no. Yeah, I thought it was. She says it was
2: not. Uh, we actually met. Well, first of all, I mean, you read the book, so you know the story. But for the listeners and viewers, um, my parents actually met uh, at a sporting event, the Mets game in 1964. My father was doing a, a baseball pregame show on WHN, Mets pregame show. He was 23. My mother was 19 at the time. She lived in Little Neck, Queens, and and she took a job as an usherette, a hostess at Shea Stadium, and during one of the early games in May, uh, during the early portion of the season, uh, they decided to interview some of the folks who worked at the stadium, and she was called up to the broadcast booth, and their first meeting was actually an on-air interview. Um, I also met my wife uh, due to sports. She wasn't working in sports, but uh, she had gone to college with a good friend of mine, Jerry Coleman, who I worked radio with in Baltimore back in 1990, 91, 92, Uh, they attended Ithaca college and, and he was friends with uh, her and her roommates at the time. And uh, I had heard about, you know, these, these three girls that he was friendly with from college and and never met any of them. And in 1994, I was up calling the Rangers Canucks final series on NHL radio at the time, which is another long story on how that came about. And Jerry was up in New York doing voiceovers that week. Uh, He was hired by a company to do some Olympic voiceovers. So Um, he was actually out to dinner with her and her friends the night of game five of the Stanley cup final series, which I was calling. And if the Rangers had won that game and won the cup, I probably would have stuck around MSG and gone to some kind of a Stanley cup party, but they lost. And I wound up uh, meeting, meeting my friend Jerry at my now wife's apartment. Uh, He was up there after dinner. So a lot of crazy circumstances. And then, a few days later I did have an extra ticket to that Knicks Rockets game and and she came along with me. And then after that we didn't really see each other for four or five months. I was living down in the Washington area and then we wound up getting in touch again and 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 the rest is history, but uh sports again played a large part in in us meeting and even even something, you know, such as the result of the game. If the game went the other way, we probably would not have met.
0: The life of a play-by-play announcer on a major level is always disruptive. You miss a lot of events. You miss a lot of family things. When it comes to your family, you mentioned Amanda, and you have Sydney as your other daughter. Uh, On 9-11, something that was very close to you. Tell us about that.
2: Right. That was actually Amanda's first day of school ever at the uh, JCC in Tenafly, New Jersey. We live in Bergen County, and we were actually there about three miles north of the gw bridge when we started to hear the reports and we were in a cafe while she was in a class orientation she wasn't even two years old yet and that's where we we heard about uh the initial reports uh, of the plane uh crashing into the world trade center and i remember driving home on the palisades parkway heading north after the orientation and and hearing the fighter jets above so when i think back you know hard to believe that she's now 24 and that was her first ever day of school on september 11 2001
0: Mm. i know you mentioned in the book that because of that incident you and your wife do not fly together
2: right that that's that's her thing um you know i always say there's probably a bigger chance that something can happen if you're in a car together but um we had a young child at the time and then another one two years later so uh, and i've heard of a lot of other people doing this where uh you know as a family we will fly together all four but Uh, The two of us won't uh, if the kids aren't with us. So um, that's something that we've done for about 20 plus years and we make it work. Uh, If we go on vacation, uh, the two of us alone, we'll take flights an hour apart. One of us will pick up the luggage off the first flight. We'll meet up, go to the hotel. So uh, I have the logistics down Pat. uh, Thanks to, thanks to thousands of flights through the years. I think I have the flight schedules memorized from Many of the airlines and uh, pretty good get, figuring out how to get from point A to point B.
0: You have to read this book to find out all the wonderful things that people say about Kenny Albert. but almost everyone says the same thing. He is the nicest person. He cares. He is, he is somebody who is extremely special. Even to Wayne Gretzky, who does the other forward in your book, you would think that Wayne Gretzky on a plane would be relaxed, you know, the, the great one. But he wasn't, and you kind of calmed his nerves a lot. Well, first of all, the check's in the
2: mail to all those folks for their kind comments. Um, Wayne and Clyde, who wrote the forwards, uh, great athletes in their respective sports. Wayne, the best ever. Clyde, among the best ever. They're both even better people than they were athletes. And that, that's uh, a pretty, you know, it's pretty hard to make that statement about anybody, but it's true about the two of them. And Wayne in the forward, uh, writes about when he was with the Rangers back in, in the late nineties, from 96 through 99. And he is not a fan of flying. That's been well-documented does not enjoy the turbulence, but he would actually come up and sit with the broadcasters. And, uh, you know, I can't really take any credit. It was primarily, uh, to sit and chat with John Davidson, the great John Davidson, who was the Rangers analyst at the time. But uh I was up in that area as well on many of those flights with Sam Rosen and Sal Messina, the other Rangers Hall of Fame broadcasters at the time. And uh Wayne would come up and chat about sports and life and so many other subjects. And it's uh so kind of him to mention that that he remembers those days. And now, over two decades later, we're colleagues at the NHL on TNT. Uh he's in the studio, but but the pre and post game crew traveled with us during the playoffs the last two years. So I got to know him a lot better and he's just so kind uh, to both his work colleagues and, and fans in general never turns down a photo request or an autograph request. And I could say the same thing about Walt Clyde Frazier.
0: We have the Wayne Gretzky figurine behind me in honor of the forward of your book here. I love the section of Mike for all seasons when you talk about Moose and the Goose. Former Dallas Cowboys fullback Daryl Moose Johnston, who you are in the booth with for a long time, and the late Tony Siragusa. And about three streets down from here, Kenny, I'm living in Kenilworth, is where the funeral was held for Tony Siragusa, and you gave the eulogy. You have a special connection with the Goose, didn't you?
2: The late great Tony Siragusa, one of my favorite people of all time, and uh did give the eulogy in Kenilworth. That was certainly a memorable day. Over a thousand people in the church. Um, but we did work together for eight years, and this is year thirty uh, for me at Fox Sports. But those eight years uh, provided so many, so many highlights and memories and stories, and a lot of them are in the book. Uh, Moose Johnston, you know, one of the greatest players at his position all time, fullback, won three Super Bowls with the Cowboys. Tony Saragusa, uh, a tremendous player for the Colts and then the Baltimore Ravens, a big part of that 2000 Super Bowl team and uh there's a great documentary uh that's been out for about 6 months now on on that Raven squad and a lot of it was filmed about a month before Goose passed away and he was there at the reunion and uh, he's a big part of that show. Um but when I think back, you know, not only to the tremendous games that we called, but a lot of the time off the field and there there are there are probably six, seven, eight uh things that I've done in my life once, and they were all with Tony. Um, you know, we go we get into a city Friday during football season, we go to the home team's practice, and then we'll visit with the visiting team Saturday. But Saturday morning, early afternoon, you have some downtime. And Tony never wanted to just be sitting in a hotel room doing nothing. He wanted to take advantage. He lived life to its fullest. So whether it was riding around a race, a, racetrack in in charlotte 150 miles an hour in a, in a nascar race car uh we did that uh tony actually drove one of the cars which is amazing i sat in the passenger seat with a professional driver uh we got soaked by shamu at, at sea world in san diego tony and i it's on it's there's a video somewhere uh we would take the jet boat tour at niagara falls if we had a buffalo bills game the only time I've ever held a, a gun and shot a gun at a driving range in Dallas was with Moose and Goose. We took an alligator uh, swamp boat tour, petting baby alligators down in Louisiana. So wherever our game was on, on that given weekend, uh, we would we would we would go do some kind of activity. But also learned so much about football from those guys from Moose and Goose. And we called five NFC playoff games together. We called the Pro Bowl out in Hawaii. So uh, such great memories. Um, of Goose and his family. And I keep in touch with them and, and went to a charity golf tournament this summer that raised uh, so much money for a a charity goose flights that, that he was involved in along with his business partner, Dirk Vandersteer. And they, they send uh, children in the make a wish program. And also uh, former NFL players who are in need of medical appointments in other cities. uh, They fly them there on, on, a private jets so it's a it's an unbelievable charity and i was glad to be a part of that event but such great memories of goose and i know uh he was beloved both in kennilworth and in florin park where he lived uh during his broadcasting career
1: 52 degrees and sunny here in denver as we head down to the field and tony circus thanks kenny tebow mania has swept the nation but i can't lie to you coming here to denver this week i wasn't sold Until I got a chance to meet Tim Tebow. Let me tell you a little something about this kid. He's tough. He's positive He's full of energy. He loves to hit people and when you talk to the guys on his defense He's got a screw loose, which is my favorite attribute From one guy with a screw loose to another you just got to love the way this kid Tim Tebow plays the game Thanks Goose Daryl is Tony saying that He himself has only one screw loose. I think there's multiple screws that need tightening on that man. Well, we would have an opportunity to see Tim Tebow at work in just a moment because the Bears won the toss but deferred kickoff sails through the end zone. So Tim Tebow and the Broncos will start from their own 20-yard line.
0: He would just blurt out things. He was so fun, and you have to adapt to that as the play-by-play announcer, right? His position was unique. Um, his mic was open at all times
2: down on the field. And he hated when somebody referred to him as a sideline reporter. He, he said, I was, I'm a sideline analyst. And he was right. He wasn't just a sideline reporter uh, giving injury updates. He would, um, he would analyze the plays. And he wouldn't speak after every play. Uh, he and Moose had a great chemistry. They never really talked over each other, which is called stepping on each other in the world of broadcasting. I would set up the play, call the play, and then a quick recap, and then Moose would come in, and then he would leave enough time if Goose wanted to come in after a, a specific play. But he saw, he saw some things down there on the field. I was amazed. I mean, he had a huge setup with with with, with six or eight monitors. He had replays. He had stats. He had uh, ISO replays, close up replays, and but with his eyes, you know what he would see when we would be sitting there watching film uh, after practice he would pick up on things that nobody else would ever uh, even think to look for, you know, whether it was the finger of an offensive lineman pointing a certain way, that would mean it was either a run or a pass. And that's from years and years of studying film. So uh, he was a character. He would, you know, he would say things to players and coaches in these meetings that nobody else would, he would tell old stories. And uh, you know, I think back, Brett Favre, for example, was sitting there with us for like 45 minutes. Uh telling that he and Goose would be exchanging stories about hunting and fishing and their families, and it was just so much fun to listen to.
0: A lot of people say, How does Kenny Albert do it? He goes from a, a football game to a hockey game. You learned a lot from your dad when it comes to working with with analysts and and colleagues in the booth and, and that smooth rapport, but that's not easy. And you do it, make it look so easy, and that's why you're the pro you are. When you're going from one sport to another. How difficult is that for you?
2: Well, I guess I'm used to it, and it was in the DNA. You know, as you mentioned, my father was involved in so many different sports, and uh, I have a stretch now coming up in the next two weeks as we chat on a Monday. Uh, Just arrived home from the Giants-Dolphins game last night. Um, I'll just give you a quick glimpse. Head to Boston tomorrow for a Wednesday night hockey game for TNT, the season opener, Boston and Chicago. I'll be in Buffalo Thursday for the Rangers season opener on the radio against the Sabres fly to LA on Friday, uh, go to Rams practice. And then we have the Rams, Arizona Cardinals game on Sunday. I'll take a red eye back. And then four games, four consecutive days next week, Rangers radio, Monday night, a Knicks preseason game in Boston on the TV side, Tuesday, hockey game in Detroit, Wednesday, hockey game back at MSG on Thursday, and then go to Seattle for a football game that Sunday. So that that's not necessarily the norm. It's usually crazy, but not that crazy. Um, but it's a function of working for three different networks and calling four different sports. And uh, the schedule sometimes gets challenging. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. But, um, you know, that that's what's coming up over the next uh, 13 days or so.
0: Incredible. And I get a feeling that you never wake up and say, oh, got to go to work today. Right. You love this.
2: Oh, never. I mean, sometimes with the, you know, sometimes an occasional 4 a.m. wake up call for a 6 a.m. flight, you know, that's not uh, that exciting, but uh, you have to get there. Um, But no, never feel like I'm working. There's a lot of work and travel that goes into it. The preparation, I have a checklist that I go through before each and every game. And a football week could be 20 or 30 hours of prep, including the, the meetings that we have with the teams and our own production meetings. Not as much time for hockey and basketball and baseball because The teams are playing so many games and you're watching and following and uh doing a lot of reading that that's probably the thing that i do the most and um preparing charts and statistics etc but never feel like i'm going to work just so fortunate that i love what i do uh and it never feels like work
1: manning on third and ten he fires and the catch is made by cruz who breaks free one man to beat victor cruz down the sideline Cruz is going to take it all the way, tying an NFL record, 99 yards from Manning to Cruz.
0: You mentioned writing and reading. When your dad, Marv Albert, was doing this, he didn't have all these technology. He didn't have the internet all the time at his disposal to get all this information. So, I'm sure it gives you a more of appreciation when you, you listen to people like you mentioned the the legendary Bob Wolf when he used to call games and and what it was like. Bob was was a guest before he passed away here on Sports Jam, and he and his wife were so lovely, but that had to be so much more challenging back then, right? Things were a lot
2: different uh, back then, and I guess you could say that about every generation, but when I think back to watching his preparation, it was a lot of uh, newspapers, which which I still read daily um it was weekly publications about the various sports it was uh team press releases sent through the mail that were only 3 or 4 pages back then now they could be a 100 and you get them over the internet you know at times i feel like there's too much out there now you can spend 24/7 reading and going through the information from the teams the leagues the networks etc but um you know i love i love reading i love the preparation i love the info but Definitely a simpler time back then when you didn't have the internet and you didn't have, uh, the ability to watch games at, 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 you know, a simple click. When I first started with Fox in 94, they would send us VHS tapes of both teams, previous game and our previous broadcast. And I wouldn't get those until Wednesday. They would make the dubs, the copies on Monday, send them out Tuesday, and they would arrive on Wednesday. Now I get home last night. And if I wanted to, I could watch any game that was played in the NFL. Um, you know, through the NFL plus on the internet. Uh, I have the NFL package on YouTube. You could tape games there. So um, I found myself getting started a lot earlier in the week since uh, I can, since I can start on Monday with, with the video and the reading. And in the past, you weren't always able to do that uh, until some of the enhanced technology that we've seen.
0: As a broadcaster all the time for, for the Rangers. And then you have to go do a national game. How how how's that challenge for you? Because you're used to having that, you know that that feeling of the garden behind you and whatnot. And then then you're doing the Stanley Cup final, and maybe the Rangers are in, maybe they're not.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, the football and baseball that I do, those are all national games. I don't work for a specific team. The basketball games I call are Knicks on MSG, about 15 games per year. But with hockey, I go back and forth between Rangers radio approximately 50 games a year. And then the national games uh, in the past on NBC, now on TNT. I do have to remind myself, Doug, when when the Rangers are playing in one of the national games that I have to get just as excited when the opposition scores. Uh, you have to be 50-50 right down the middle. Uh, but when I'm doing a game for the Rangers on radio or for the Knicks, uh, we're all working for MSG Network. So Uh, not that we're rooting outwardly on the air, but you want the teams to do well, the better they do, the better it is for us and the broadcast, the more games we get to work. So um, it is a definite challenge, but we've seen it, you know, through the years, whether it's Mike Breen calling a Knicks game on MSG or a national game, he's done more NBA finals than anybody. Uh, Joe Buck for years called the St. Louis Cardinals, and he was calling the playoffs and world series on Fox, the great Doc Emmerich, uh, who's, In my opinion, one of the greatest hockey voices of all time. I refer to him as the Vince Scully of hockey. He was doing local games for the Devils and doing the national games as well. So uh, it's certainly not unprecedented.
0: You mentioned the great Doc Emmerich. People are going to be saying this about Kenny Albert, you know, when when your time is over, because you have a long way to go yet. And even though you're writing a book about 30 years at at Fox, you have a long way to go. They're going to be saying, Yeah, they're going to be saying the same thing about you. How good of a hockey player were you? Um, I did play hockey growing up. I I, I would say I was a a very average
2: third line winger in high school and college. Uh, We had a a, a club team in high school, Port Washington, Long Island, and really enjoyed it. Um, You know, when I think back, a lot of the practices and games were at 10, 11 o'clock at night. It was whenever you can get the ice time. And then in college, I thought my hockey career was done. I went to NYU and a gentleman by the name of Matt Nafis, who was a student, he was a junior at the time, I was a freshman, he came up with an idea to to uh, start a club hockey team at NYU. So I went to the first meeting, I saw a flyer on the wall as I came out of class one day and uh, went to that first meeting and helped Matt with the administrative duties as well. But I played on the NYU club hockey team, scored the first goal. I didn't score many, but I did score the first goal. So that that's uh, a huge memory back in December of '86, but it was fun. Uh, just getting out there on skates, and even in my adult life, I haven't played in about ten years. But uh, did play in an adult hockey league in Hackensack. We played some games in Wayne, mostly in Hackensack, up until about ten years ago.
0: A record that even Wayne Gretzky can't break. First goal there for the for the I, hockey nobody club. Else,
2: nobody else can hold out.
0: <laughs> so, the wedding cake ken and barbie on your wedding cake did you see the barbie movie you you've really dug deep doug
2: you haven't missed a thing in this book um i have not seen the movie yet my wife and kids did see it my wife's name is barbara uh my name is obviously kenneth most people call me kenny some people call me ken um so we we had the barbie and ken dolls uh on the wedding cake and uh when the movie came out last summer uh we both uh the posted the picture of the wedding cake on, on Facebook or Instagram made a reference to the movie, but uh, back in 96 at the wedding, you know, we, we, we certainly uh, were well represented on the cake as Barbie and
0: Ken. So last question for you here on sports, Jen, you and your dad can go back in history at any point, any era and call a game together. What game would it be and why?
2: Well, we we've we worked a couple together but in different roles. You know, we both have the same job. We both do play-by-play, play, so we we can't really work the same game, but I brought him in in college. He did color on an NYU basketball game, and then I was the sideline reporter for a couple of Westwood One football games that he was calling. Um, you know, some of the games that I've that I heard of throughout childhood, you know, the 1956 Larson no-hitter, uh the the Giants Colts championship game in 1958 you know those are some of the iconic games that i've always heard about uh the Knicks winning the championship in in 1970 i was two years old so i don't really remember it he was calling the game um we were both on the call in 94 when the rangers won the cup he was on the rangers radio i was on nhl radio so that was uh pretty cool to both be a part of but i would say to go back in time one of those games in the 1950s whether it was uh uh, the Larson Perfect Game, the Giants-Colts, those would kind of be fun to uh, to see in person because I've seen some of the black and white photos and video, but but that's about it.
0: Well, you definitely want to check out Kenny Albert's book because you will learn so much more about him. We've touched upon just just the surface of some of these things that he's talking about. A mic for All Seasons, My Three Decades Announcing the NFL, NHL, NBA, MLB, and Olympics. You mentioned so many of your colleagues throughout the years, you give back, you you announce at these sports camps, and and you're an inspiration to so many people. And a lot of people, when they see that somebody has a famous dad or a famous family, you know, that they'll say, hey, he got the break. Kenny Albert didn't get the break. You worked hard to be the best at your craft. and." I congratulate you on that. And when I see you bounce around like you're doing for these next couple of weeks, you're telling everybody, Hey, look at the goods here that I have. And I mentioned, uh, eventually you will be in the hall of fame with all those others, like the great doc Emory.
2: Well, thanks, Doug. I really appreciate it. Um, definitely, uh, you know, had some doors open a little bit early on because of the places I was able to go with him and, and handling stats, uh, throughout my high school years, but um you know did then try to take advantage of some of those opportunities met a lot of great people along the way have to give credit to uh the production folks that i work with the color analysts i might hold the record i've worked with over 250 color analysts throughout my career but um appreciate the kind words uh great chatting with you and hopefully we could do it again and thanks for reading the book
0: my pleasure thanks for joining us on sports Gen.
2: thanks doug
0: Sports Jam is a WBGO News production. You can hear all the past shows by going to wbgo.org/sportsjam or wbgo.org/studios. You can also find Sports Jam with Doug Doyle on the NPR list of podcasts or wherever you hear podcasts. Special thanks going out this week to Sammy Steinlight for helping us hook up with Kenny Albert. Until our next Sports Jam session, I'll see you at the game.